0: May we turn now to the gospel according to John, the second chapter. In verse 18, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Our Savior went up to Jerusalem for the Passover, that's where everybody was gathering on that occasion. In fact, that's where all the people would be at the Passover. And also they would be concentrating their interest on the temple at the Passover season. And uh, Jesus had been over into Cana of Galilee. He just turned the water into wine. And the fact that he was working miracles was spreading the news of this, was spreading its way abroad throughout the community and the area. And uh, he was naturally a very uh, <clears throat> a very much discussed individual. And for him to go up to Jerusalem at this time where everybody was gathering and with all this discussion concerning him uh, made him a, a focal point of interest and also of uh, attraction. What sign showest thou then? What sign are you going to show to us? They had heard that he was working miracles, that he had already turned some water into wine. And we're told in verse 11 of this second chapter, this beginning of miracles did Jesus, and that he then proceeded to make uh, his power manifest by many mighty miracles. And it seems that they were as much interested in seeing what he could do from the standpoint of his power as perhaps anything else And uh, they wanted him to give a demonstration of his power for them. Well, what Jesus did on his first entrance into Jerusalem, after he had begun his public ministry, was to go over to the temple. And in his first uh, act, so far as the temple was concerned, he proceeded to clean the, the temple up. And we have here the account of the cleansing of the temple at the opening of his ministry. And then we have a second account of the cleansing of the temple at the conclusion of his ministry. Jesus Christ found his way into the temple in Jerusalem. He found a great hubbub there. People were on every, every hand, a great deal of noise and disturbance and there were sheep in it there were oxen there there were stalls people were buying and selling and trading and the temple looked very much as though it had been turned into a marketplace in fact our savior uses the word house of merchandise the whole temple was so full of people and so full of tradesmen and so full full of the various goods and stocks with which they were trading and buying and selling that he called it a house of merchandise looked like a county square or some sort of a mark where everybody went and they were coming and going and he stood there in the presence of this site and he decided that he would do something about it so he turned over and found some little cords just about two or three of them and he wove them together in a little scourge and he took this little scourge in his hand and single-handed all by himself with nobody assisting him he proceeded to tell these uh, money changers and to tell these folks who were doing business in the church that they should get out. Now, the temple was a large building. It was full of a great many people. And if you'll notice that 15th verse, he said, And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple. All. Everything went. And the sheep and the oxen and poured over the changers' money and overturned the tables. The indignation that must have been in his face, the spirit that flashed in his eyes as Jesus Christ went into the temple. Now, he, of course, had been taken into the temple as a little babe at the time of purification. But this record here is the record of the first time after his public ministry when he began to carry on his testimony of his entering into the temple. And as though someone who would enter into this temple here for the very first time, enter into this very church for the first time, and proceed to tell us that our operations here were contrary to the great standards that the church itself had set before it on the basis of the word of God, and proceed to clean it up. But he proceeded to say that my house my father's house. He made in that statement a tremendous claim of his own deity and of his own sonship. My father's house. I think it should be observed, as we have at different times, Jesus Christ never addressed God in a a manner in which his uh, personal address corresponds to our address. I ascend to my Father and to your Father. He always made a distinction. And when ye pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Jesus Christ's relationship to the Father, as he used the term, was a relationship of the only begotten Son of God. He always kept that separate and distinct. No other person of any kind could address God as Father on the terms that Christ did, because Christ was the only begotten Son. But you and I are adopted sons. We're children by grace and through faith, and we say our Father, and we all sustain the same relationship to the Father because we are redeemed. We've been washed by the blood. Jesus Christ was never redeemed. He was never washed by any blood, even his own blood. He didn't shed his own blood for his own sins. He had no sins to die for. His blood cleanses us, but his blood did not cleanse himself because he had no need to be cleansed. And we have here the glorious relationship of Jesus Christ going into the temple for the very first time and saying, My Father's house. And he proceeds as the Son of the living God To clean up that house. And the one who has authority in the temple is Jesus Christ. And the one who has authority in the church of God is Jesus Christ. The one who's the head and the only head is Jesus Christ. He makes the rules for his church. He's the lawgiver among the people of God. This past week I have been to Seattle and I attended some of the sessions of the Episcopal Convention. This is the great assembly of the bishops in the House of Deputies. And uh, yesterday, uh, in Saturday morning's paper, there was a great front page story saying that the House of Bishops and the Anglican Church now is calling for a special committee to study and to come up with the Christian view relative to all matters of sex, including abortion, including the new morality, including all these areas. And now the idea is that they are somehow or other going to appoint a commission, and this commission now is going to make this broad study and finally produce the Christian attitude on all these matters. Beloved, the Christian attitude on all these matters has already been determined for us by the head of the church. The Christian attitude on all these matters has already been clearly defined for the people of God in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I think it's very, very significant that in the confession of 1967, which the United Presbyterian Church has now adopted, And in laying aside the Westminster Confession and removing it over here into this book of confessions, the United Presbyterian Church has completely eliminated from any relationship of any kind to the church the larger catechism. And the larger catechism has in it these detailed analysis of the law of God. And when you come to the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, you have the two questions. What is forbidden? and what is required. And these matters are spelled out in the most detailed point-by-point analysis so that the people of God can have no doubt as to what the demands of God are for purity and the integrity of the marriage bond. Beloved, the head of the church is the lawgiver. And the lawgiver has a right to go into his temple and take a scourge and drive out those who are making merchandise and clean up the house of the temple and drive out all who were in that place engaged in that form of activity. One of the things that interests me about this is that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't leave anybody in the temple but himself. When he got through cleaning it up, there wasn't anybody left but him. He drove them all out. It says Allah. If you're going to come into the house of God, you must come into the house of God to perform a certain function, and that function alone, and that is to worship God, and to come in the glorious spirit in which Jesus Christ sets here as the condition of worship. My house, he said, my Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And as long as you're coming in this door to do merchandise, I drive you out of this door. But when you come into this house in order to pray, and in order to hear the word of God, my house shall be called in house of prayer for all peoples. And let those doors stand open and let all the peoples come in and listen to the message of the gospel and listen to the message of righteousness which will be proclaimed and declared from the testimony and from the pulpit of my house. Oh, beloved, the significance of Jesus Christ going up to Jerusalem at the Passover time, walking into the gates of that great and glorious temple and proceeding to drive every single person out of it. You know, when we hear sermons on this, we usually hear about the sheep being driven out and the goats being driven out and the tables being overturned and a few things like that. And we said that the Lord Jesus Christ was very indignant, but we don't emphasize the point that this passage says he drove them all out. And then he turned around and says, If you want to come back and pray, my house shall be a house of prayer for you people. But if you want to come back in here and make merchandise out of my temple, and if you want to take these corridors and take these halls and have pigeons and ducks and doves and sheep and cattle and lambs and all the other sort of trading that's going on here, and if you want to buy and sell in this place, may I remind you, he said, that this is not the kind of a house that my God has established for you. Get out. May I say to you that this phrase in the King James Version is translated here. He says, take these things hence. It's very pointed. It's very abrupt in the Greek. Literally, it says, get out. Get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, beloved, when you come to Jesus Christ and you hear him speak like this, let me remind you that he could talk like this without being a sinner. He could use some strong language and uh, he could be really indignant without being a sinner. He never sinned. He never sinned. On one of these talk shows in which I was engaged in on Friday, as I told you, in in Seattle, I was on for an hour and a half and some pacifist called up, you know, and they were uh, trying to tell me that uh, uh, Jesus Christ was this sweet uh, uh, pacifist and that he wouldn't uh, engage in any kind of war. And the person, it was a lady, by the way, and she said to me, she says, you can't show me any place in the Bible where Jesus got angry. I said, let me read for you the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, blind guides, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? And then I turned to this place where he made a scourge and he overturned the tables and he drove them out. And I said, Jesus Christ did every bit of that without sinning. Without sinning. Think of it. We've gotten the idea today if anybody stands up for anything and defends... Uh, the truth against iniquity and goes out and fights the good fight for the gospel that he's engaged in some form of evil activity and that he's engaged in some sort of sin uh, and some sort of disgraceful endeavor. Beloved when Jesus opened his public ministry the first thing he did was to go into the temple and make a scourge and take it in his own hand and use that scourge to drive out of that temple all of the people who were making merchandise of the house of God. Now, isn't it interesting today, beloved, that our churches have become marts and all you have to do is to listen to these radio broadcasts now, where they render these church announcements as public services, and you just listen to them. and They'll tell you that the Saint James, so and so, or the Saint Andrew, so and so, or the Saint Mark, so and so, or something so and so is going to have some sort of a bingo game on such and such an evening, or some other church is going to have some sort of a big supper, and they're going to have some sort of an auction over there, and that the money that's being made is to go for the benefit of Saint so and so somewhere else. And all I want you people to know. Notice is that when you listen to these things, especially when you listen to these New York radio stations, I like to listen to them. They all come in with these announcements, and the churches in New York must be the greatest carnivals in the country. The way they run these churches up there in New York, and you listen to these radio, and they're having carnivals on Friday night and on Saturdays, and they're carrying on the greatest forms of merchandise inside of the house of God. And, beloved, just as certain and the house of God closes its doors to prayer... And the people that run the house of God say, we're having troubles, we're having trials, we can't get our money. They turn to merchandise to get their money in order that they can keep the house of God functioning and they'll have the necessary funds in order to carry on their ritual and their order. Jesus Christ says, my house shall be a house of prayer or else you take these things hence and get out of here. Jesus Christ is setting before you and me the glorious reality that the church has boundaries. The church has walls. The church has something inside to give to people that they can't get down on the street where men are engaged in merchandising. The church is the place where men are to come to hear the message of the Almighty God. Now after Jesus Christ asserts his authority after he manifests his indignation, after he drives everybody out of the house. Some of these Jews come to him and they say, Now, sir, we don't exactly understand all this, but you've done it and the people are listening to you. What sign do you show us? What sign do you show us? The people have gotten out but what sign will you show us seeing that thou doest these things if you say you have authority if you assume that you have the power to drive us all out of this place this temple belonged to our fathers and we've inherited it who are you where did you come from what sign have you got to show us what is there about you that makes you have claims such as you assume when you say my father's house and do you know beloved Jesus Christ stood there and he gave them the greatest of all signs, the greatest of all miracles. He gave them the number one miracle of all the miracles that would ever be wrought. He did it. And I think the significance of this is of the greatest possible importance to our faith and to our understanding of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ say, well, yes, I'll give you a sign, or two. bring over this blind man. Let me touch his eyes. He'll just see right here in your presence. No, he didn't say that. Did he say, oh, yes, I'll give you a sign. There's a man out there sitting on the steps, and he's hard of hearing, and he's had trouble. Uh, just a minute, would you bring him in on the bed, and let me touch his ear, and I'll let him hear, and you'll see him, uh, uh, you, you'll see him respond? Uh, There's a man out there that's lame. He's got a broken leg. He's he's been deformed from his youth. His hips are out of joint and his knees, they don't work and he can't walk. Please bring him in here. Just go get him. I'll I'll, I'll heal the blind for you. I'll bring you a lame man in here and you get a deaf man out there and you bring somebody over here that's sick of the palsy and just shaking themselves to death. I'll touch him and we'll get rid of the palsy. You just bring any of them in here and I'll work all manner of miracles for you and then you'll see who I am. No, beloved, he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. No, no, no. He did the most magnificent and the most glorious thing that he could possibly have done. Oh, beloved, Jesus could give signs. He could work wonders. And when the apostle John comes to the end of this gospel, he said, many other signs, many other miracles, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. But these things are written that ye might believe. All that John did was to take a turning of the water into wine. That was a miracle, you see. And he takes the blind man being healed. That was a miracle. He takes the bread being multiplied. That was a miracle. And he goes on down and finally he comes to the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And that was a miracle. And John says all of these miracles, all of these signs, the Jews require a sign. And they were given signs, signs, signs on every hand that they might see that this one truly had the power of God. But when Jesus went into that temple that first Passover day and he cleansed that temple and drove everybody out and they came to him and said, What sign showest thou? What did he say? What did he say? Destroy this temple. Verse 19. Please look at that. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now, beloved, rest assured that when Jesus Christ spoke those words, his glance, his gesture, whatever it was, it was perfectly clear that what he meant by that was destroy this body. Destroy me. Put me in the grave. Kill me. You don't like what I'm doing. You're challenging me, are you? All right, you kill me. And in three days, this temple will be raised up again you're challenging my authority to come here and clean up this temple and you're coming to me and beloved you look back down through this old New Testament as we're going to do for you in just a few moments I want you people to say that see that this very statement of his this very reference of his is the one that the Jews remembered and they were able to quote it to him in the hours of his trial and they were able to quote it to him in these last moments here when he was hanging on the cross Destroy this temple. Now what Jesus meant by that was that they were going to kill him, and after he was killed, he would be raised from the dead. And the supreme and greatest miracle of all the Christian religion, the one miracle that ratifies every other miracle, and the one miracle which you and I must confess if we're to be saved, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the very first reference that Jesus Christ made to himself when he went into the temple was that they were going to destroy him and then he would be raised again from the dead on the third day. And he says, I will raise it up again on the third day. Every once in a while somebody comes along and they tell you that the ministry of Jesus was progressive and that uh, the ministry of Jesus unfolded the revelation in a very slow process. No, beloved, I don't believe in the evolutionary unfolding of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus went into the temple, and the first thing he said was, on the third day they're going to raise me from the dead, and I'll be raised from the dead by the power of the gospel. Beloved, there is no such thing as an evolutionary development and an evolutionary uh, unfolding of uh, of the mind of Jesus. Jesus was there in the temple at the opening of his ministry. He called my father's house and the supreme sign to which he referred them in that hour when he was standing there was his own bodily resurrection from the dead. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And it's the belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day that ties our whole Christian faith into redemption and into the the new birth. All right, now let's go a step further. Then said the Jews... Forty and six years was this temple in building. And wilt thou raise it up in three days? You notice they caught the word three all right. They got that word straight. They got the word three correct. It was in three days that he was going to raise this temple. That part of what he said registered with. But the identification of the temple, they didn't grasp that. They didn't grasp that. They said, do you mean to say you're going to tear down this temple here with all these stones that our fathers gave us here? In fact, this is a rather new temple. It's Herod's temple. It hasn't been up too long. Do you mean to say you're going to tear down this temple and in three days you'll put this thing back together again? Beloved Jesus Christ could put that temple back together in a flash of a, of a splitting of an atom if he wanted to. Even the stones would cry out he had the power to build that temple back in less than three days if he wanted to do it, but he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about their antagonism toward him personally and that they were going to destroy him, this very crowd that challenges him. He drove them out of the temple, but before this story is finished, they're going to take him and hang him on a tree and they're going to crucify him and his temple will be destroyed. And in three days he said, I will raise it up again. Now look at the next verse. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them, they remembered that he had said all this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The ministry went on, it's three years Christ was crucified in Jerusalem to Passover time. He was raised from the dead on the first day. And then the disciples went back in their minds and they say, you remember the first time he ever went into that temple, what he said to them? You remember how these Jews came at him and how he cleaned them up? And he said then, that destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And the disciples after the resurrection Tie the first instance of Christ entering into the temple in his ministry in with that resurrection. The whole span of his ministry is just tied together, and the disciples say it. But you'll remember that the Apostle Paul, or rather, the the, uh, Lord Jesus Christ told his apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, That after he was gone, the Holy Spirit would come and he would bring back to their remembrance all things whatsoever he'd said unto them. And not only did he bring back all things whatsoever he'd said, but he brought back an understanding of these things in a fuller and larger degree than they had had at the time. We have the New Testament. We have the Gospel of John. We have all these quotations from Jesus because the Holy Spirit brought back to their remembrance these things. And they saw that this was the same Christ, the same power, the same three days, the same resurrection. And they saw that they were dealing with a person whose revelation of himself had been the very same. Jesus Christ said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He didn't change. And You ex- start to expound the gospel concerning Jesus in the first chapters of John, it's the same one you have when you get to the last chapters of John. You start expounding the gospel concerning Jesus in the first chapters of Matthew, it's the same as when you get to the last chapters of Matthew. It's always the same. And after Jesus was raised from the dead and walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, what did he do? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And beloved, it makes no difference where a preacher starts in this Bible. It makes no difference where a preacher takes his sermon in this Bible whether it's from Genesis or whether it's from Revelation, whether it's from Malachi or whether it's from Matthew, it makes no difference where a man takes his text out of this book, he has the same Jesus to talk about. Furthermore, the whole book, all of the scriptures, everything that's in this book is here to lift up before us Jesus Christ, the one whose temple was destroyed, and in three days he raised it up again. Now turn back to this third chapter of John, to this second chapter of John. Turn back to it just a moment, and notice what we read. And they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Here was the Scripture. Here were the Old Testament. Here were these things about the resurrection of the Messiah. Here were these marvelous testimonies concerning Jesus. And they said, what the Old Testament says and what Jesus is saying here to us now are identically the same things. And they believed the Scripture, and they believed His Word, and they put the Scripture on the same level with His Word, and they put His Word on the same level with the Scripture. Oh, beloved, you and I have in our possession the Word of Almighty God. And oh, as I seek to expound just a little portion of it today, I want it to just open up in your soul so you can see that what Jesus said corresponded to what the Old Testament said. And all that Jesus is and all that he did was a fulfillment of all that the prophets said concerning him. The old and the new are brought together in one and that unity is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Now I said I'd speak to you a little further about these unbelieving Jews and will you turn with me now to the Gospel according to Matthew. Turn over in the latter part of Matthew where you have the accounts of the trial and the crucifixion and will you turn first to Matthew 26. 26th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew and uh, verse uh, 61 Jesus has been brought before Caiaphas and before the Sanhedrin. And in verse 59, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. They sought false witnesses against him. Now this is the Sanhedrin. This is the high priest Caiaphas. He's dealing with on Jewish terms, you see. And they sought... Witnesses, so they could destroy his temple. Put him to death. They're going to destroy his temple. But found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in how many days? Three days. Now, how long had they remembered that story? How long had that story been circulating among them? He's brought to Caiaphas. He's brought to the Sanhedrin. They want false witness against him. At last, they have two witnesses. And these two witnesses have come. And they said, we'll testify. We'll testify. In fact, we'll go back to the day he entered the temple for the first time. We were there. We were there. In fact, we're a couple of the money changers that he drove out we don't like him he stopped our business we have no use for this fellow we were getting along pretty well in that temple he came in that day and cleaned the thing out and drove us out and we haven't been back there since and we've had troubles we'll testify against him isn't it interesting beloved that when you cross people in this life they wait they wait they wait they wait to their day of vengeance or something else isn't it interesting and those money changers who were driven out of that temple with that scourge, now after these three years, Jesus is brought before Caiaphas and they want false witnesses and they say, get some witnesses. Bring us some witnesses in here so we can condemn this man. And here comes two of them. There are two of them. We heard him say it. Yeah, he drove us out of the temple that day and we didn't like it. We heard him say it. Destroy this temple. And they say it's the temple of God. So they they misquote what he said. Destroy this temple. He referred to his body. And in three days, they remembered the three days, three days, three days. Isn't it interesting how this three seems to reside in their memories? I will raise it up again. It's often said that when you meet people their first speeches their first remarks are the ones that you remember the most. I think it's true of my ministry you people who were here when I started here 34 years ago you remember the first sermon I ever preached from this pulpit you remember that and I still remember too but the text that Jesus used in which he said I'll give you a sign you've asked for a sign you destroy this temple in which I dwell And in three days, I will raise it up again. That's the text they didn't forget. That's the text they didn't forget. The wounds that were theirs and being driven out. Who was this man from Nazareth? Who was this itinerant preacher? Who was this fella who walked these dusty roads? Who was this person who had no place to dwell at night? The foxes have holes and the birds of the heaven had their nests. But this man was just a mendicant. He slept with anybody that would take him in any night along the road. Who was this man who came into this temple where in the height of the Passover when everybody was in the city and he took himself a scourge and before he got through there wasn't anybody left in that temple but him? Who is this man? Oh, they remembered those words. And three years later, when they were brought before Caiaphas and they were seeking false witnesses, two of these witnesses says, let me testify against him. All right, now will you turn, please. Verse 62. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses say against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus said. Thou hast said, I am it. I am the Son of God. I am the Christ. And everything I've said was true. And what I said inside that temple on that day when I went in and cleansed it, it's true. I will rise again on the third day. Now turn over to the 27th chapter of Matthew. Oh, beloved, when I see the way these things fit together and the way they add up in their climax, you can't tell me that this isn't under divine inspiration that this is put together. Will you turn to the 27th chapter and notice verse 37? And they set over his head this accusation written This is Jesus, the King of the Jews then were there two thieves crucified with him one on the right hand and another on the left and they pass, and they that passed by reviled him wagging their heads and saying thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days save thyself if thou be the son of God come down from the cross isn't that a connection Isn't that a connection? Even the multitude about there as he was hanging on the cross, the superscription was all over his head and they cried out and here they are. The very words he spoke the first time he went into the temple, destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up again. If you'll be the son of God, you come down from there, beloved. It was only because he was the son of God that he stayed up there. And the Father sent him there because he was the Son so he could die for our sins and make this atonement for our iniquity that we might have pardon and forgiveness and we might have everlasting life. I think maybe I could preach a sermon just on three days. The reference to the third day in the temple. The reference to the third day at the trial. The reference to the third day at the crucifixion itself the reference to the third day when he rose for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures isn't that magnificent day 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 this was not done in a corner the death of our Savior upon the cross of Calvary took place outside the walls of Jerusalem. It took place on this earth. It took place in the sequence of history. It took place in the eternal counsels of God. The death of Jesus Christ upon that cross entered into the wharf and the woof of our very being and our very existence. He came down here, identified himself with us, was born of a virgin. He was laid in a manger. He was without sin. He wrought these mighty miracles that men might know that he was the son of God he cleaned up the temple he was crucified on the third day he was raised from the dead he's ascended into heaven and he sits there at the right hand of God and every good gift that you and I have received every blessing that came to us this week and we've had some mighty blessings came straight from the right hand of power where Jesus Christ lives at this very moment our reigning and living Savior to guide us and to take care of us and he's coming again in the clouds of heaven and he'll be here to raise the dead beloved What sign showest thou saying that thou dost doest these things? And the only sign he referred to was that his body would be destroyed, they would crucify him, and in the third day he would be raised from the dead. I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it up again. No man taketh it from me. And beloved, every encounter that Jesus had. Every engagement that he has, every miracle that he works, every conversation that he's engaged in, if you will properly understand what he's saying, you'll come back to the Son of God. That's who he is. And if you'll understand his deity, you'll see it underwritten by his resurrection from the dead. He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead and according to the Spirit of holiness. Do you see how all this has come together? His first entrance. Oh, I was going to develop some more for you, but I'll just pass it. You know, he didn't commit himself unto them. Because he knew what was in man. He knew the wickedness. He knew the sin. He knew the hatred. He knew what they were going to do to him. He knew that they would do everything they could to eliminate him and to kill him. You know. Beloved, this is the Savior that you and I trust. This is the Savior that's given us all that we have. This is the Savior who cleaned up the temple. This is the Savior of Calvary's cross. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. No sign shall be given to this sinful and adulterous generation other than the sign of the prophet Jonas. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for this great passage. and We thank Thee that when the Jews remembered these words over these years and threw them back at him in his crucifixion, the Spirit of God gave these same words back to the disciples and they understood it. Destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up again. Father, we thank Thee that this Christ has all power in heaven and earth and He's the one who's commissioned us to be His witnesses and to stand for the glory of His name. Oh, Father, we thank Thee that this passage ties so many things together. Then they believed the Scriptures, and then they believed His Word. Father, bless this Word to the nourishment of our souls. Amen. Now let us stand and sing hymn number 522, Cast Thy Burden on the Lord, 522.